0: We now continue our journey through the twelve minor prophets, and we find ourselves in the book of Hosea. Hosea prophesied he was from the Northern Kingdom, the Northern Tribes, and he was prophesying predominantly to the Northern Tribes. He would have been preaching, he had an extended ministry of perhaps fifty or sixty years perhaps starting around 760 or so. And he would have been preaching during some of the same time as the prophet Amos, who was a contemporary of his, who he just got done looking at, and who was from the southern kingdom but was preaching to the northern kingdom. And so here is Hosea also during this same time of prosperity People are doing financially well in many ways. There are some who are being ripped off, the poor in particular, mistreated. And uh, religion was at an all-time high. There were many religious people. But it was also a sad time in that the people predominantly had forsaken the Lord. They had had stopped seeking the Lord from, from their heart. There are a lot of sad words in the English language and in any language. Some words are final words. They are words that are not subject to uh, any kind of change. They are final. They are complete. They are unending, unchangeable words. Words like hell. That's a pretty final word. When we talk about uh, hell, we're talking about a word... A place, a real place where real people go. There is no uh, there's no second chance. There's no back door. So when we talk about hell, we are talking about a word that is final. There are also good words that are final, although there are not a lot of them. God would be one. Heaven would be another one. It's final, unchanging. And then there are sad words that are not final, but they are nevertheless sad. When we think about hell, we think about something sad, but it's, it's final. There are sad words that are not final in their ultimate sense, uh, but yet there is, a, there is a sorrow that goes with them. There's a, a devastation that, that takes place when we think of them. And one word in particular that Hosea deals with that is a very sad word even though it's not a final word, is the word adultery. Adultery. Whenever we think about adultery, especially as believers, our heart should sink. And it's one of those words when we hear, if we love the Lord, that when we hear it spoken of in this day and age, Christians who really care about Christ and therefore are real Christians are concerned about this word. They they know the devastation of adultery, the devastation of unfaithfulness. You have two people who are united in a holy and sacred union who are to be life partners. Male and female, not male and male, not female and female. But male and female, and God brings two people together. And it is a a beautiful union. It is a holy union. It is a sanctified union. And yet in this day and age, we even shudder to talk about adultery because we see it all the time. We see it in the church. We see it in the pulpit. We see ministers on a regular basis falling. It's amazing to me how often we can turn on the Christian news and hear about the latest minister that has bitten the fruit and has uh, and has taken uh, into the uh, has gone into the atmosphere into the realm of adultery. And so when we talk about this, we we do not talk about this from a high and mighty perspective. But from a perspective of, uh, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because adultery is a serious thing. It's the breaking of vows. It's the breaking of this union that God has, has put together. And unfortunately, on our day and age, we see it almost as kind of this flippant, who cares kind of thing. We we even have uh, words that are sanitized words for it. We we now call it an affair. It's an affair. It's not adultery. It's an affair. Somebody, they fell into an affair. They began to have a relationship with somebody that they shouldn't have. And it usually starts out with, uh, with talking and chatting. And it, it just goes from there. And so we have this Hollywood glamorizing of it, that it's, it's natural. And how, how can two people really be faithful to each other for a whole lifetime? Do you really expect a monogamous marriage? Do you really expect two people to only be with just one person for their whole life? That almost seems Bronze Age, that seems very barbaric to some. We've even heard people talking about it in terms of slavery. You know, you're enslaved to somebody and you should have the freedom to be with who you want to be. And so we're soaked in this culture. Listen, every time we turn on Facebook, we're soaked in it. Every time we turn on Instagram or or any kind of other social media, we're we're soaked in it. Anytime we turn on the TV or or the Internet or the movies, we, we see this portrayed as normal and even as desirable, as something that we should be looking to do, that this is this is a good thing. And yet in the Bible, it's a, it's a devastating thing. It's not a final thing, but it's a devastating thing. And it's something that has brought sorrow to many who have gone in thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. It's like all the commercials where everyone's just drinking and having a wonderful time throwing back one alcoholic drink after another. And everybody's partying, and everybody's uh, just just uh, frolicking around and doing whatever, and it seems to be just this great time. Well, it is in some cases, and then uh, the end is not so fun. And so a person gets addicted to alcohol or addicted to whatever substance, and pretty soon that person begins to change, and it's no longer the nice commercial, the party scene that we see. And in Hosea, we have this uh, living illustration of a man who's called to do something rather unique, and it's to illustrate the adultery of Israel with its maker, with its covenant God, and that is the God of Israel. And they have broken fellowship. They have broken relationship with their Lord. And so God says, you know what, I want a preacher who's going to be able to illustrate this broken relationship. And I want this preacher to be able, I want this prophet to be able to feel what I'm saying. I want him to know that the pain and the agony of what God is experiencing, so that as he's experiencing it, it's a living, shocking object lesson, a living illustration of what God is experiencing. And so God calls this prophet Hosea to, in real life, illustrate what has been taking place with Israel and their God. Flip with me to Hosea chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, The son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So there's a string of kings that were leading Judah while Hosea will be prophesying. So this is an extended ministry period that he has. He's also going to be prophesying in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And This is why we talk about our two kingdoms. You have one King in the north, and you have another king in the south. These two kingdoms that make up Israel are what is being talked about here. God is broken over the sin of his people. There is a compassion with God. There is a pain with God as he's looking at his people, and they're going after everything except him. And he's, he's looking at this with compassion. He is looking at it, as it were, with tears in his eyes as he's thinking about their perpetual sin. Their ability to listen to the teaching and the reading of God's word. Their ability to listen to the songs. Their ability to go through all of the religious steps and yet remain unmoved and unchanged. And God is saying to the people, he's saying, in effect, you're cheating on me. You're committing adultery. This is not right. I have been faithful to you. I have loved you. I've cherished you. I've taken care of you. And yet you have run out on me. So he says, I'm going to give you a man who can illustrate in real life and in real time, this was a real historical man. And the account that we're about to read is a real account. Some people say, well, this must just be an allegory. This is just to illustrate a spiritual lesson, a spiritual point. This is just kind of like a parable. This is just for us to understand a spiritual truth. That's all that is being given here. And yet by every indication here in the scripture, this is in fact... A true real life story, a real man named Hosea who is really called to do what God calls him to do. So this is a real account. If you go back in time, you go back a couple thousand years and around the time of Christ, and then you move back close to 800 years before Christ, you would actually find a man named Hosea. And God says, I'm going to prove something through you. And so the Lord comes to him. Notice verse two. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom." Now, in case we're not clear, this is a word we do not often use unless it's in a derogatory manner. This is talking about a prostitute. Now, at the time of the marriage here, this woman would have been pure. This woman would have been somebody that would have been a candidate for Hosea for marriage. This is somebody who seemingly was living a decent and upright life. And God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go. You see that woman. I want you to marry her. And things at the beginning are going to be okay. The marriage is going to seem to be fine. But things over time are going to turn sour, and she is going to become a prostitute. Can you imagine? This is God telling Hosea this. He's saying, I want you to go marry this woman who is living this okay life from the perspective of human beings. This is not a cult prostitute or anything like that. He's not going into the local shrine, the local temple, and saying, okay, God is told me to pick out a prostitute and marry her. That's not what's going on here at all. This is a woman who is living, from our perspective, a decent life. And so God says, I, I want you to go and I want you to, I want you to marry her, knowing. Hosea is now recounting this later. This is a perspective now looking back. He's saying, I want you to go and I want you to marry her, knowing that she is going to be unfaithful to you. It's amazing the turns that we we take in life. And oftentimes we think God is going to just call us into this life of um, everything. is. Would God really do this? Would God in real history call a man to marry a woman who was going to be unfaithful to him in the end? Would God really do that? Isn't this just a story? No, this isn't just a story. This is an actual historical account. You think about the lives of of the people you know, you think about your life. All of the twists and the turns that have uh, taken place in it that were unexpected. You think about um, babies that we dedicate here in this church or babies that have been dedicated in various churches all over this nation and all over the world, and we pray over them and we say, Oh, God, would you would you, would you use their life? Or would, you, would you take their life and would you do something special with it? If anything, Lord, all we're praying for is their salvation, that someday they would grow up to know you. But the truth is we don't know what's going to happen 18 years from now or 36 years from now or 72 years from now. We don't don't know what's going to happen as life continues. And and so Hosea, this, this marriage is starting out fine. It's starting out good. And yet Hosea knows in the back of his mind, something is going to go terribly wrong here. And that is the experience of Christians even in this church. That's the experience of Christians even in this world where they say things in my life were going okay, and all of a sudden we hit a bump in the road. It was unforeseen. We didn't know this. We didn't expect it. There are some things that are a result of the sins that we do purposefully. They are called consequences. So we do something wrong, and we know that um, if we sow to the wind, the scripture says we're going to reap the whirlwind. And so if we sow to destruction, we're going to reap destruction. And So if if we go into Turkey Hill with a gun, even if it's a water pistol, and we hold up the clerk, we're going to jail. These are natural consequences. We shouldn't be sitting in jails thinking to ourselves, oh, how did I ever end up here? How did I ever end up here? Well, that's rather obvious. But then there are situations that we didn't ask for. Situations that um, God had ordained in our lives that we didn't expect. They were not as a direct result of something that uh, we knowingly did wrong. And yet God has brought some kind of painful situation into our life to glorify himself and to illustrate for us his love. So any teaching that says, God, God's not going to ordain for you any kind of pain in your life. You see, I didn't, I didn't ask for this child to rebel. Oh, yes, there were, there were things that we could have done differently. There were, and you think back over the years and you begin to pray and you begin to think, oh God, I could have done this differently. But then you begin to think, but it's God who's in charge of salvation. And this wasn't a direct consequence of, Whatever, this is just the ordained result of what God has given to me in this life. Oh, God, help me. Help me through. Help me to understand what you're doing. So God calls Hosea and he says to him, I want you to go marry this woman who is going to become a wife of whoredom, And I want you to have children with her for the land commits. Here it is. Here's the parallel. I want you to marry a woman of whoredom to illustrate the fact that the land, that is Israel, has committed great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So Israel has cheated on the Lord, and Hosea, I am going to command you, I'm going to ordain you to marry a wife who is going to be unfaithful to you. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now this would have been his son. At this point, there's no prostitution. At this point, she has not run off yet. So here they are. This is, this is the beginning days of their marriage. They come together. Their marriage is consecrated and consecrated to the Lord. And they have a son. This is their son. This is Hosea's son. This is Gomer's son. They have a boy, and they're proud of him. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, which means scattered or to sow. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu. Jehu was um, the one who was used to slaughter the house of Ahab back in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. He is using the house of Jehu here to illustrate the house of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to judge the house of Israel for the blood of Jezreel. This is when Jehu had come in in Jezreel, in the city of Jezreel, and had slaughtered all of these people and slaughtered Jezebel and the inhabitants of that city. And God says, I want you to call your boy this. I want you to call him scattered or I will sow. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So God says, Hosea, I'm calling you. To have a son, so they have a son. Name him Jezreel, which means scattered. He says, I'm going to take the northern kingdom and I'm going to scatter it. I'm going to let, uh, let the foreign nations come in, Assyria in particular, in 722, and I'm going to scatter you as a kingdom. So I want you to name your son that to illustrate what I'm going to do in the future to Israel says, I'm going to break the bow. That is the power, the bow, the arrow and the bow, the illustration of power, of military might. I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel, verse 5. Now she conceives again. So they have a son, and now they have another child, and this time they have a daughter. But instead of them having a child together, This is a child from another man. So now at this point, Gomer has decided to be unfaithful in the marriage. And she has wandered about and she has hooked up with some other man. And she has conceived and now she is pregnant with a daughter and has a daughter. So you have this husband and wife, Hosea, and his wife, Gomer, and they're about to have a baby, but it's not his baby. So, the first baby is their baby together. The second baby is not their baby together. So, she bears a daughter. Now, they're still together. Can you imagine the pain of this? The pain. This is what God is experiencing. Here she's having a child. This should be a, a wonderful and happy occasion. But instead of them being able to celebrate together, he knows, she knows, she knows this is not his child. And the Lord said, call her name, no mercy or no pity. I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So he says, listen, I'm not going to have pity anymore on the northern kingdom. I want you to name your little girl, no pity. No mercy. Instead of repenting and crying out, Israel has not cried out. They have not asked for mercy. They have not come and asked for the compassion of God. In fact, they have continued in their in their whoredom, in their harlotry. And as a result of that, God is saying there is coming a point where I'm not going to continue on in this relationship as it is any longer. I'm going to break it off. I'm not going to continue to allow Israel to just go on in their unfaithful state day after day after day. So I want you to name this precious little girl. I want you to name her no pity. So now you have two children and you would think that perhaps it would end there, but she conceives again And uh, she has another child, no mercy, verse 7, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. She weaned no mercy, verse 8, and she conceived and bore a son. So she has a son, she has a daughter, now she has another son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. This is very clear that this is not his son, just as the Lord is saying, not my people. Now, the Jews are always going to be and hold a special place in the Lord's heart. They were uh, under the plan of God clearly in the Old Testament. And in the future, when he comes back, there's going to be a future restoration of ethnic Israel. And uh, we even see the beginnings of that here in 1948. Israel is planted in their own land. This is a, a special time. God is beginning to once again fulfill Prophecy, we believe in our very time before our very eyes. But there has been a time of scattering and there has been a time of the breakage of the kind of relationship that they had. And so it is as if somebody were to say there's two cousins and uh, two cousins are fighting, and one cousin finally says, You know what, you've hurt me so bad. You're not my cousin anymore. Well, they're still cousins. And uh, they still have this uh, blood relationship, but the relationship of fellowship is broken. And that's exactly what God is saying here about Israel. He's not saying I'm completely done with you forever. I'm going to completely cut you off for all time. But he is saying in this current relationship, the way that it's going, I'm not going to allow it to continue anymore. And I'm going to call you not my people. By the way, there are people today who talk about the Jews being the people of God. And in one sense, there continues to be a prophetic plan for them. There's no doubt about that. That is very clear in the scripture. But it's also very clear in the scripture that just because somebody is a Jew by birth does not make them a child of God. So in that sense, they are not the people of God. The people of God are those who have been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and who have placed their trust, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the people of God. So whenever you see a Jewish person walking around, you can think to yourself, yes, they definitely had a plan. There was definitely a plan of God in the Old Testament for them. Yes, God still continues to use them, and there is a definitive plan for them in the future. But just because somebody is born and has the ethnicity of a Jew does not make them a child of God. And so we see people as we're traveling home, we see people all the time walking the bridge, the Market Street Bridge, Jewish people with their long beards. And the other day I saw a Jewish man as he was pushing a stroller of his baby was reading some kind of prayer book or or perhaps even the Old Testament. Maybe it was the first five books of the Bible out loud as he was pushing his little baby along, and I'm thinking to myself, that's wonderful that you're doing all of this, but unless you know Jesus Christ, you do not know God. The only people who know God, the only true people of God, are those who know the Son. And so God is saying here, you're not my people. And yet there is hope. He says here at the end of chapter 1 in verse 11, he says, And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. Even though there are two kingdoms, the north and the south, that in the future they are going to come together again. There's going to be no more northern kingdom and no more southern kingdom. But there's going to be one head and he's going to come from the Davidic line from the southern kingdom. And they are going to bring themselves. This is this is what we're waiting for to happen in the future as they come together. So right now they have been scattered. They are under the discipline of the Lord. Many Jews are coming to the Lord, but in many ways they are under the discipline of God. Currently right now there is a a hardening that has come upon Israel, but there will come a time when they will be back under one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So God is talking to Hosea, and he's saying there is unfaithfulness here. You've been unfaithful, Israel. You were called my people. I'm going to call you at a certain point. No longer my people, not my people. Where I once had pity upon you, there is no longer going to be pity. And you would think that there is going to be a turning around here. You would think that there would at some point be Israel saying, God, forgive us of our sins. Lord, we we want to come back. Lord, we want to stop committing spiritual adultery. But it actually gets worse. It actually gets to the point of separation. So here is Gomer, married to Hosea, faithful in the beginning. All of a sudden there's a turn in the relationship no more faithfulness they birth two children they're not his children this is a this is a sad situation you think about the children of israel as they're brought up out of egypt they're starting good everything seems good they're praising the lord as they're going through the red sea some of them are scared to death and as they're going through the red sea they're thinking the lord is victorious they're even singing Songs, if you remember, Miriam had songs and the women are singing and the men are singing and everything is wonderful, isn't this great? They're singing all the songs by Paul Balash and by whoever is the wonderful worship leader at the time. They had everything on their eye devices. And then all of a sudden things begin to go terribly wrong. It's not too long before they're making a golden calf It's not too long before they're calling out to other gods and complaining against the true God. And so instead of things getting better, they only get worse. And it's the same in Hosea and Gomer's relationship. Instead of things getting better, it only gets worse to the point of separation. Chapter 2 says this, Say to your brothers, you are my people and your sisters, you have received mercy. The Lord is pleading here. He's saying, um, hey, Israel, plead for mercy. Come back to me. Ask for mercy. Ask for compassion. But they would not plead with your mother, he says here in verse 2, plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. By the way, this is not a final divorce here. This is more of of a threat. This is a pained exclamation of God. He's saying to Israel, you're not my wife anymore. I'm not your husband. Painful stuff, but there's not a final divorce. And You might say to yourself, well, I thought God divorced Israel. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere where it talks about God divorcing Israel? Well, there are a couple texts. Let's look at one of them, probably the main one, Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. It says this. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel. So here Israel again is faithless, committing adultery. I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. So you say, well, right there, it's in Hosea. It talks about I'm not your your husband. You're not my wife. Here in this text here in Jeremiah chapter 3, it talks about a decree of divorce. But this is talking here specifically to the northern kingdom. This is talking here about kings that have usurped the throne. There was a whole line of kings in the north that were not from the Davidic line. And God is saying with that line, with that kingship of the illegitimate kingship of the northern kingdom, he is saying, I'm going to divorce you. But never in scripture does he divorce the Jewish people. And in fact, never in scripture does he divorce the southern kingdom from which the king of all kings would rise from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He never divorces them. And so when he is talking here in Hosea, in language of divorce, it's not final divorce. It's language of pain separation. God's saying, I'm so pained. Have you ever told someone you hate them? Have you ever said something to somebody out of pain and, Of course, we're sinful, emotional people, and we say things like, You're not my cousin anymore. You're not my brother anymore. What you did to me is unthinkable. You're not my sister. You're not my mother. Ever have a daughter say that to you or a son say that to you? You're not my mother. You're not my father. Or even the pain of a father or mother saying that to their own child. And there have been people who have said that in their own pain and their agony, and they say, to their son, they look at them and say, "You're not even my son anymore." Well, what does that mean? Does that mean all the blood is cut and all the technicalities of father-son relationship are cut? Absolutely not. But there's pain there. And yet, God, how much more with His righteous affections that aren't up one day and then down the next is looking at Israel and saying to Israel, "I'm no longer your husband. This is pained talk, and you're no longer my wife." But Gomer continues to play the part of the whore. Look with me at uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. She has said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and water, my wool and flax, my oil and my drink. Is that I'm not staying here. I'm not staying with you, Lord. Well, Lord, I'm going to go after that which is going to fulfill me. I'm going to go where I can find the money, the oil, all the things that I need. It's not here. I'm not staying here anymore with you, Lord. And Gomer is saying the same thing to Hosea, her husband. She's saying, I'm not, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go elsewhere to find what I need. I'll go elsewhere for my wool. I'll go elsewhere for my flax, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, verse six, the Lord says this, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. So the Lord says, you know what? She's going to go pursuing after all these different things, but I'm not going to allow her to be fulfilled. I'm not going to allow her to get exactly what she wants. This is the grace of the Lord, that he blocks our paths, if we're a true Christian. In fact, if you remember Balaam in the Old Testament, he thought, okay, I'm going to go prophesy against Israel. And so he ends up uh, jumping on his donkey. And the Lord, literally with an angel, blocks his path. He is determined to go prophesy against Israel. And God will not let him. And he can't see the angel, but the donkey can. That's pretty interesting. A jackass can see the angel, but the man riding the donkey cannot see him. That's an interesting parallel. So here he is looking at this donkey. The donkey is looking at the angel and finally, Balaam says, you know, what? I'm going to start beating him in order that I can I can go. I can go through. And of course, the donkey in the end ends up laying down. He won't go anywhere. And so finally, the donkey looks up at Balaam and says, why are you beating me? He talks. That's an interesting thing when you get a talking donkey. And finally, Balaam is convinced, hey, maybe the Lord's in this. I, I shouldn't. Uh, I, I should be listening. listen. When we are a believer in Christ and we begin to stray, one of the ways that we know that we are a Christian is the Lord begins to block our path. Oh, yeah, we can, we can still sin. It's not that we can't sin. But the things that we're desiring to fulfill us, we're, we're going after them, and we are trying to find fulfillment in these things. And so we're going after these different sins, even as a believer, and we're going, this isn't working. And so we turn to the left and this doesn't work. And we turn to the right and this doesn't work. What is the Lord doing? He is hedging us in. He's saying, I love you so much. You can can go out and sin, but I'm not going to allow you to be fulfilled in sin. And I'm not going to allow you to continue in sin. It's interesting in 1 John chapter 5, there's a verse there that says, there is a sin even unto death. This is written to believers the Bible is clear that a person who is a believer. If they are so determined to continue in their sin. And the Lord is pleading with them, please repent. he I'm not listening, but they're a believer down deep. They know the truth. God is saying, come back to me, come back to me. And they're saying, no, I won't after my other lovers over here. No, thanks. That's that's too simple for me. I don't I don't want that life. God's saying, come back, come back, come back. Not listening. There is a point where God in his mercy reserves the right to take that person home. And that's what it's talking about when it says in 1 John chapter 5 that there is a sin even unto death. Listen, there are believers who continue on their path. They're true believers. This is, not, this is not the teaching that says you can just pray a prayer and be saved and then just go live any way that you want. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a true believer. Somebody who has started out right. They really love the Lord. It's not that there was just a fake faith or false faith. It wasn't just a prayer to them. They really love the Lord. They're going after the Lord. And for some reason, something begins to catch their eye. Jesus says, I want your, I want your focus. I want your eyes. I want your, your, your focus, your dedication. I want you to train your eyes on me. The person's looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus. All of a sudden, they start looking over, looking to the left, looking to the right. All of a sudden, they start taking a step over here, not focusing on the Lord anymore, taking another step, taking another step. This is what the Lord is saying about Gomer. He's saying, I'm going to hem you in. You're going to go here, you're going to go there, you're going to pursue these things. But Gomer, you are not going to be able to find fulfillment in these things and you're not listening carefully, you're not going to be able to do them with ease. Whenever a person can just continue to sin with ease, no seeming consequences, no discipline of the Lord, no being hemmed in, no hedges around, we've got to ask ourselves, does that person really know the Lord? Have they really come to a saving knowledge of Christ? But if you're a believer and you're going after these other things and you find yourself being blocked, you think, I I thought it was going to go over here and yet it just doesn't feel right. I thought it was going to and I thought it was going to go over here. It's not feeling right. That's the Lord's kind discipline to you, to hem you in. So she says at the end of verse 7, notice what she says here. Then she shall say, verse 7, I will go... And return to my first husband. For it was better for me than now. So think about this. Gomer's sitting there and she's thinking, my life was better than than now. I think I'm going to go back. This life has gotten really hard. I thought it was going to be great. It's not great. It's great in some ways, but it's not great in others. I think I... Maybe had it better before. And so she says, I'm going to go back to my husband as at first, my first husband. But here's here's the problem. She doesn't. So she's thinking about it. She is saying, I think I'll go back. So you can imagine Israel. They're saying, maybe we'll go back to the Lord. I mean, he is calling us. He is coming after us. He is seeking us. Maybe we'll go back to the Lord. We think. We think we had it better with the Lord. But instead of acting upon that and saying, yes, we're going to go back to the Lord, they don't. So here's 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 certain people, they say, I'm caught in this lifestyle of sin. I know I should be turning and going back to the Lord. I know I, I shouldn't continue on this. I don't want to go down the path all the way to 1 John 5 or 1 Corinthians 5 where the flesh is destroyed. I don't want to die here but I don't think I'm going to go back. Listen to what uh, James Montgomery Boyce says. We're going to close with this. Wish we could keep going on, but we'll continue next week. He says this. I want you you to hear the, the pleading of God in this. Do not say merely, I will go back to my husband at first and then not go. Get up and go to him. Do not merely say, he was talking about the prodigal son, do not merely say, I will return to my father, and then sit there without moving. Go to God. Find that he will be waiting with open arms to receive you. And to shower you with love. Last verse. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 verse 37. John chapter 6. Verse 37 says this. All that the Father gives me. Will come to me. And whoever comes to me. I will never cast out. So Jesus is saying to Israel, come back. Listen carefully as we close. You must do something. You got to do something. If it is going back to God, it is not merely saying, I think I'll go back to God and then doing nothing. It is actually saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to move on. Can I ask you a question? What is it in your life right now that God is saying to you, come back? Come back. There's an area of your life where you're going, I I know I should give this up. Ah, I think it would be better if I gave it up. But you're just sitting there toying with the idea. You're thinking about it. You're meditating on it. You know the right thing, but you're just going, I don't know if I can give this up. I don't know. I, I, I think I should give it up. Yes, life with the Lord is better, but you know things are okay kind of right now. And the Lord is saying to you today, move on. Give it up. Come to him. Dedicate it to him. Surrender it to him. He will not cast you out. Would you stand with me as we close And before the band comes, if if you just stand, we'll ask the band to come up in a second. Father, we thank you for your word today in the sobering story of Hosea and Gomer. And Lord, I pray if there are things in our lives, even right now, that we are we we're saying, Lord, we need to give this up. We need to change this. We need to We need to come and ask you for forgiveness in this area. That that would be our heart today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the Lord is speaking to you about something. You're just saying, I need to go back to the Lord. I need to go back to the Lord. You're already a Christian. You already know him. This is not a matter of, Well, I think I need to get saved. And and if you need to come to Christ for the first time, I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards. But this is not an issue of being saved. This is an issue of running from the Lord in a certain area and saying, Lord, I need to come back to you in this area. I need to come back to you. Would you raise your hand and say, there's just something in my life that I need to surrender to the Lord. Is there one here today? I need to surrender something to the Lord. Hands all over. Anyone else? Don't wait. No, wait, I need to surrender this to the Lord. I need to surrender this to the Lord. I Give this up. I Give this up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, do you see the hands all over? Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for you speaking to us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would break down walls of resistance in our heart against you. Break down walls of resistance, we pray. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.